Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to International Women's Day at the Royal Academy of Arts. My name is Amy Blewett and I'm the events and lectures coordinator here. Today marks 106 years since the first National Women's Day was observed in the United States in 1909. Today is also significant because it is the first time in the RA's history that we have celebrated International Women's Day. The history of women at the RA begins in 1768 with artists Angelica Kaufman and Mary Moser, who were two of the founding members of the Academy. The continued journey of women artists since 1768 also includes the RA schools with the female students petitioning for 20 years in the 19th century for the right to study from the figure, life models who receive double the pay to their male counterparts, and the artists today operating in the context of the RA, whether academicians or school students. Today's panel highlights one theme on the perspective of women in art, intergenerations. There are a number of other themes that we could have explored, such as sexuality, race, religion, and we hope that in 2016, some of these other topics can be addressed. The starting point today is this statistic. In 2011 to 2012, over 60% of art and design students in the UK were female. But in that same year, audits found that just 31% of London galleries presented work by women. So are men simply better artists? Or are there other reasons why the gender gap widens during the trajectory of a female artist's career? So to chair this discussion and to introduce our panelists, please join me in welcoming Radio 4's front row presenter, Kirsty Lang. Hello and welcome, and very nice to see uh, such a big crowd. And uh, so I hope we're going to have a, a good discussion. Our challenge there, uh, as Amy said, uh, plenty of, of food for thought, is to try and get to the bottom of why women artists are still so woefully underrepresented in our public galleries, museums, and, and, and indeed public artworks, uh, as well as the private sector. And also to find out whether things are getting better, uh, is the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm joined by four artists, um, three are members of the Royal Academy and one is an RA Schools student. We uh, have Tess Jarry, our most senior member of the panel. Uh, she's an uh, artist and printmaker who taught for many years at the Slade and her work is characterised by the interaction of geometry, pattern, repetition and colour suggesting uh, spatial ambiguities. Tess has artworks in many public collections, including the Tate and the British Museum, and her paving designs can be seen in Centenary Square, Birmingham, and on the forecourt of uh, Victoria Station. Eileen Cooper is the first woman to be elected Keeper of the Royal Academy in uh, 2011, which means she's in charge of the uh, RA schools. Um, before that, she was head of uh, printmaking at the RA schools. Uh, Eileen is a well-known as a printmaker and a painter whose stylized work is rooted in the, in the figurative um, tradition and imbued with playful narratives. And uh, she told me she is soon to have a retrospective uh, here in May at uh, the RA, which uh, I'm looking forward to seeing. 
to my right, I can never tell my right and my left, there was a, uh, Kathy Pilkington, a London-based sculptor and figurative artist renowned for crafting increasingly ambivalent forms from a vast array of materials. She was elected to the RA in 2014 and two of her painted bronzes, Reclining Doll and Twinkle, were selected uh, for the last uh, summer exhibition. And uh, last but not least is uh, Gary uh, Georgieva, who is a student halfway through, I think, your three-year postgraduate degree course here at uh, the RA schools. Uh, Gary works in um, performance, uh, dance, and video art, and very often uses herself in her uh, artworks. Um, I want to start with drilling down into that particular statistic that we just heard in Amy's uh, introduction, <laughs> that women make up 60% of graduates from fine art but only 31% of the work represented in London galleries. So uh, let, let's start with that drop-off. Gary, you know, as, as the youngest artist on this panel, at this stage in your career, do you have any sense of being disadvantaged in comparison with your male colleagues? Um, I wouldn't say... I've, I've considered it a lot recently because of this panel, but um, I wouldn't say it's something that's been on my mind as a worry. The idea of being female is sort of just one of the many circles of the Venn diagram that makes me who I am. And I sort of never thought of it as a way to define myself. And you, you sort of see books published still of women artists. And you're like, who, who, who are they? I mean, I like these artists in this book, but why are they all put together? I don't really, I don't understand how their you know, work yes. has anything in common. So actually but, yeah, being no, pigeonholed as a woman artist is slightly irritating. I, I, I find it so, but I mean, I don't know, willing to, open that up to debate. Maybe it's useful, I don't, I don't know. And I mean, no, is I there any sense amongst your, the student body of the kind of, I don't know, the men clubbing together and the women artists clubbing together or, or any, anything like that? Is there a gender divide in that sense? I wouldn't say there's an, there's an obvious gender divide, no. I mean, we have, um, in the schools we have every year, so there's three years, every year is made up of equal numbers of men and women and we're all friends with each other. And I was saying earlier, just when we were talking, that just, you know, there is sometimes a feeling that you get these kind of boys clubs or often like painting boys clubs in, in art schools. And I was just discussing with a friend last night, you know, why that sort of might happen. And uh, I don't know, but I don't think it's to do with gender. Why do you think it might happen, the painting well, boys clubs? I, well, unlike the RA, which has actually quite a significant number of painters, a lot of other schools, um, it's considered a sort of dying art form or something that you need to um, defend or sort of you know, explore the relevance of, and I feel like there's a, you know, they sort of club together for sort of safety, <laughs> or like, I don't know, I, I mean, at the same time, that then often is quite beneficial later on in the commercial world, because it's quite attractive to have these bunch of these sort of lads that um, have an energy to them, and they feed off each other's energy, and, and it makes them, it sort of makes collectors find them quite appealing, I don't know. Eileen, as a keeper of the RA, let, let's go back in time now um, for a brief history of, of women's involvement in this institution because uh, I was amazed to discover that two of the founding members of the RA were women, which was quite something at the end of the 18th century. I think probably women had a lot more freedoms uh, in the end, at that particular time than in the last hun hundred years. So Mary Moser and Angelica Kaufman were founding members, but... It was incredibly shocking when I realised that actually it was 150 years later when the first female was elected, that was Dame Laura Knight. So I think that was in the 1930s. And in our archive there is the most hilarious letter, um, but very poignant as well and very well written, that Laura Knight writes after taking part in some of the business of the Academy and participating wholly to it. And then after that the male academicians go off to dinner and she's not invited. 
and um, she has to go to the pub with a friend. <laughs> with another woman. So Actually, I think <laughs> one of the men was so hugely embarrassed that he took her to the pub. Um, I'm sure she was no stranger to going to the pub, but I mean, it was quite extraordinary. The other thing that I found recently was that the first female sculptor, Liz Frink, wasn't elected till 1977, and the first female uh, architect, Eva Jurinkna, is still an architect here. So in her lifetime, she has been the first, and perhaps there are two, three, three female architects now. So the Academy has a long way to go. <laughs> now, uh, art history is overwhelmingly about, about, about male artists, and so whether wherever we go in our national museums and galleries or simply walking down the streets in London, we're, we're surrounded by you know, art by men. Do you think that has an impact on female artists? I mean, even subconsciously? Well, we're always in dialogue with art history. And of course, it is overwhelmingly male. Even though women were practicing artists, the work that they did was often discarded, undervalued, certainly not um, equally. Um, it didn't survive in the way that male art, which was lauded and taken into great collections, did. So I think we deal with that. I mean, recently, I'm very aware of that male canon, but I wonder if the whole way I've been taught, I've been taught so much from that, that I think it's time to uh, take it to pieces, really. In what way? What do you mean, take it to pieces? Well, think very, very carefully about, I'm very much a painter, so what does make a good painting? The kind of structure, the strength, the, um, the you know, you look at somebody like um, de Kooning, for example, such a male stereotype of an artist. Um, I just, I don't really know how to go about it, but I'm just aware that it is such an overwhelming thing and it's something I think I want to deal with. I think we'll come back to that in a moment, but Tess, I want to uh, ask you, you went to art college in the 1950s. Were you having this kind of conversation then that we're having now? Not really, no, I think in some ways, I think we were quite lucky because uh, it was it was a fight to get to art school in those years, but at the same time, they'd just brought in grants across the board, and I don't think there was much difference. The real awareness of what it meant to be a woman artist, or indeed a woman or a professional woman of any sort, didn't really happen till about 1970. I think I have one, one has to thank um, Germaine to some extent for that. So there was a great wave and there was, uh, there was a great wave of interest in, in women artists' work whose work dealt with, with women issues. It was actually, it was a social movement at the time and it was rather that in a way, I think split artists, it split women artists to some extent because myself and some of my peer group felt that we had come out of the mainstream, which, as Eileen said, was completely male, and that that had to be accepted. Can on I the other, just say something? That yeah. And that generation, lots of women turned their back on traditional ways of making art and moved into what I suppose now we'd call new media. I suppose it was the start of new media. It was. But to go back to your question. Um, when I taught first at the, at the Slade, I was offered a job there that was in 1968, and it was at a party, and I'd had, of course, too much drink, and the person who'd offered it to me had had too much drink, and then the next morning I thought, 
oh my God, Bill Colstrom, who was the professor then, said, so long as I am professor, no woman will step over this threshold. So I rang him and said, look, I can't, what can I do? I can't take this job if he's going to boot me out immediately. He said, oh, don't worry about that. Um, so I was the first uh, tutor to be employed at the Slade. Now, I have a friend who should be nameless who teaches there now. And she said, oh, it's all women. Can't they employ some men now? <laughs> so I think tonight I may be playing, slightly playing devil's advocate because I think that it's difficult for anybody to be an artist. It's very, very difficult to be an artist right the way through your life. This is not a very good country for that. They are better in other countries. You know, we are good at literature, we are great at gardening and so on, but... Um, <laughs> You know, and those, those, are great, those are great things, but art is not something you have to have on your walls, and that reflects on... But you're, I mean, you're an artist who's represented in, in major museums and galleries. Your art is, in, in many places, quite literally at our, you know, the feet of the public. I mean, looking back over your long career, do you think it was harder for you than your male contemporaries you, who left art school in, in, in the late 50s? In some ways, it was harder. It was like we were talking about before. You know, the, the crunch of it to me assuming that somebody has the will to devote their life to doing it, and that applies to males and females, the crunch really, to me, relates to uh, the crunch within all professions, that is, what happens if you want to have children. Because, you know, then you are responsible for lives other than your own, and in the end, however much a new man you might, might be father or might not even acknowledge being father of your children, they, in my observation, they are not going to do 50%. And I have to say again, playing devil's advocate, however difficult it is as for a woman artist, we are a bit more flexible with our time, that if your children then come into your studio uh, for whatever, if you're, and, and the bulk, the vast majority of women artists I know have their, have their studios in the, in the house, and where's the vast majority of men, as soon as babies appear, they get a studio outside the house somewhere. Cathy, <laughs> um, I, I want to bring you in here because you're the mother of a, a young child or children? Or two. Um, I have one daughter and she's nine now. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how much did the pram in the hallway impact <coughs> on your work? Oh, it really got in the way. <laughs> um, I have a studio outside the house because I'm a sculptor, so it's not really possible to be that domestic with my working arrangements. Um, I think that when I was a student, it didn't really occur to me that there was uh, uh, too much of a problem being a, a, a person, an artist. I didn't really think about being a woman too much. In fact, I think that um, it was a slightly negative uh, feeling I had about being a mother, about being uh, a female artist, and I would uh, do anything I could to kind of push those kind of uh, thoughts away. Uh, far away from me, and I think a lot, a lot of um, uh, my friends uh, have, and at my generation, people have put off um, having children until much later. I think that's kind of. Yeah, did you common. put it off till later? Um, uh, well, I got pre pregnant by accident, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't in the plan, and it yeah. wasn't in the plan because so did I. it seems like <laughs> so it seems like such a you know be, being an artist is all consuming and it's your passion, and you I think perhaps you don't feel the need for children. 
Um, and a lot of people won't talk about that either. It's kind of slightly um, uh, frowned upon. And then at the same time, you have this kind of devalued thing about having children that it's a bit of a shame. She's had a child and she's interrupted her career. You know, and you think, what what is the value actually of children? They're human beings, that, and, and it's amazing. You know, but obviously on both sides, you, you, you could say... Um, uh, on both sides of the coin, there are advantages and disadvantages, surely. Um, but it is, I think it came to me as an enormous shock um, um, and an in incredible sort of content as well for the work and for life. And, and like this, the, the film that we were watching um, earlier on this morning uh, was amazingly uplifting because it talks about, uh, it showed, um, I, don't, I don't know, quite a few of you might have been there, but it showed women's work and lives developing over a three-year period of time. And there was no point in, in the documentary that their, their personal life and what was happening in their life was shied away from or kind of pushed under the carpet or seen as something to apologize for or a, a weakness in, their, in, their, in what was happening in their work. It was seen as a strength and an absolute content. And I think um, in that way, uh, that, that film was wonderful because it 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 was uh, it could never have been made about men about a male perspective actually it was utterly utterly kind of revolutionary really in the way it was dealt with. One of the things that uh, struck me, Tess, that you said earlier when we were talking before we came in that you had children in your twenties that you were able to carry on making art, teaching, and look after your kids, but what had to give was the going out and you know, drinking, meeting people, marketing yourself to gallerists and so on. And uh, uh, presumably um, uh, you, now, I mean, Cathy, that kind of thing's more important than ever, getting your yeah. name and your face about, yeah. um, and that, that, that sort of recognition. Yeah, I think that that's the bit that is um, almost impossible to keep up, you know, physically, the kind of um, uh, energy that you need. And also, um, you know, your financial position is utterly pivotal on how you deal with being a mother, uh, whether you need to uh, work for money, because art doesn't always bring money in. Um, so this idea of privilege and what, what you can and can't do, and having the privilege and the energy and, and the resources to go out, meet people, do all those things, go off on residences, travel internationally, all these things. You can't do those things if you're on a limited income and you have small children. And also this idea that it's, a lot of people say, oh, it's just for, just for a few years. Well, that's not true either, is it? You know, children don't go away, and when they're at school, school finishes at three o'clock every day. So suddenly, you have this incredible imperative of time on your practice, and you have to run everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and by the evening, you need a drink, but you need to stay home and drink. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think things like um, you know, some people can can get sort of itchy about things like special women's prizes, women's awards or residences. I actually really welcome these things. These things are really needed. Uh, uh, I, you know, I want to pick up on a, a point that Cathy made there about, about creativity and how uh, you know, the act of having a child, of course, is, is, is creative. And for, you know, there has been this historical notion for hundreds of years that women's creativity was indeed taken care of by having children. So whereas men needed art as a creative outlet, Women artists were just sort of dabbling. It was a hobby. I mean, it, it, well, isn't I, that the case I or not? totally disagree with that. I mean, I need I need to make my work to keep me sane. Really, um, I work whenever I can, and I've had two sons, so that's quite something to survive. And uh, and they've added immensely to my life. And the, as Kathy said, they're often the content of of one's work. 
Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I need to make my work. I need to. It, even more than selling it or getting it out, I just need to get in the studio. Gary, let's talk about the, uh, the masculine aesthetic, because do you think, um, uh, as an art student, that women artists have suffered historically because the masculine aesthetic is considered to be of more value? Yes, <laughs> in some ways, but mainly just because uh, the nature of history, and it's, you know, it's in all professions that leadership roles and power has tr historically been in the hands of men, and um, the, you know, we're socialised in certain ways, so that, in fact, men and women seem to have you know, different... I mean, it's very hard to talk like this without, without being sexist, because you know, just in any of these debates, you can't really say that men are interested in one thing and women are interested in another, you know. In overall, perhaps we have, you know, like women's magazines are garnered towards women and men, the opposite. But I think that there, there is definitely a sense that women's work is worth less or their opinion is worth less. Or, and in that way, it's the aesthetic that goes hand in hand with that. So, you know, it might be uh, a feminine aesthetic is often sort of labelled as um, soppy or, you know, you're saying romantic or... Um, hysterical, you know, if, there, if there's intensity there, it's not genius intensity, it's sort of hysteria, or uh, there's a different sort of attitude to, to um, yeah, a f female production traditionally. However, I would say that just through discussion and, and through um, developments historically, that it's becoming slightly more sort of acceptable. Um, but also there's this sort of idea of the queer aesthetic, and these, these are all... Um, they're also uh, attitudes which I think are being looked at as something interesting that has been sidelined and that might sort of be what might need to refresh art, you know, the, the art practice and the future of art making. I d you know, it's a sort of unexplored area. And in that way, I do think that there's a sort um, a kind of urgent, the women that do make it, you know, and I wouldn't say that they all have a feminine aesthetic. I don't think that's right. I mean, they're redefining what a feminine aesthetic is. Um, there is a sense of urgency and excitement, you know, what are they going to do next, and they've got the helm, and uh, I think it's, it's, yeah, being interested in women and, uh, like I said, queer and... And do you think, I mean, things, because things are shifting now, I mean, the mere fact that we're having this discussion here today at the RA is yes. a sign of a kind of, you know, a, a bit of a shift. I mean, do you, I mean, would you say now that you're invited by curators and gallerists to take part in shows um, because and you know and they'll be quite open about it and say because we want to need we, we need a woman um, artist. I have, I wouldn't say directly. I've been told that, but I have definitely have friends who are gallerists and curators who are actively looking for women artists, and I have friends who are female artists who really give gallerists a hard time. You know, I have a friend that will just look at all the lists of artists on the top galleries' names and call up the people that don't have enough women and say, "What is this about? You know, it's not really fair. You're not giving a good representation of creative output." you have a sort of sense, you know, there's a responsibility to history here. Um, but, and I've been in a lot of shows recently that have been all women, we haven't really even noticed. Can, you know? I, can I make mm. a point? Because yeah. I think that's interesting, that there are, uh, in, there are women putting together all women's shows. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, I got an invite to a show the other day, 10 men and two women. Yeah. 
And, and actually, the two women were married to two of the men anyway, <laughs> although they were very, very good artists. Yeah. And it made me think, did the person who curated this show not know any women artists? M maybe he knew these maybe. two because they were married to his buddies. Yeah, yeah, but I think it might be a generational thing, which yeah. is, as we were, I mean, oh, I don't know, it goes so deep. As you said, the art world, the brilliant thing about it is it's, com it's very informal, it's all based on friendships. You know, you sacrifice financial stability to be able to work with people that you really like and make things that you that you're excited about. But often that means that sort of, you know, boys and boys are sort of more friendly with each other and girls and girls, but then the, the women may have to sacrifice. Can, can the, I make another yeah. observation? Because I'm very, because I run the Royal Academy Schools and, and Gary's a student there. So the Academy Schools have three senior female members of staff, including myself. And when I was a Goldsmith student in the 1970s, we had no women on the staff at all. And I heard that at St. Martin's at the same time, there was a woman called Gillian Ayres. And <laughs> that just seemed incredible to me. And I did feel completely excluded from that male, although I had lovely male tutors, Bert Irvin and Basil Beatty amongst them, but the core group of the intellectual input, I was totally and absolutely excluded from it. Mm. And so it's I great to would, hear you. But I think that these days, especially my generation, what I feel is happening around me in discussions, that it would be quite hard for someone to not make a point of that, as in we're all quite sensitive. I think it's quite... Um, there's definitely still problems. You know, sexism exists in the most subtle of ways, and you have to be very aware that that's there and sort of navigate accordingly. You know, not be oversensitive, because you, you don't want to be overcompensating or being bullish or, you know, trying to be the man. It's about being, being the woman can be as accepted and you don't have to sacrifice all the other aspects of what makes a woman a woman. So, you know, your maternal impulses or whatever else. Um, and I think, yeah, that there's a sense of it being quite cool, you know, for men of my age to be interested in women and promoting women and women's issues. It's not fixed, certainly not. But it's. I but it, feel but like it's. Th might things be are getting up. better. I'm, I'm interesting though by your point about there's still nonetheless the informal networks which are very important in the art world and and you know boys clubs. Uh, I mean, Tess, this must have been something that you've come up against, isn't it? Sort of feeling that you've been left out of that you know informal male-dominated networks. I mean, you said as much when your children were small. Presumably, you start losing out on that. Yes, I, I won't go into that. I'm going to turn it a big moan. Um, <laughs> but I, I, what I would like to do is to bring in a little bit of history. In 1978, I think it was, what is that, getting on 40 years ago, I got together with um, four other women artists, and we approached the Arts Council um, to put on an exhibition which would be chosen by this uh, group of, of women artists. There was something at the time called the Haywood Annual. I, I don't know if anybody here remembers mm. that. Uh, what it was, I think it ran for about five years, so they had once a year, they had some specific show. And by luck or by chance, they thought this was a, a possible idea. So we put on, a, we put on an exhibition for the, for the entire um, gallery, the entire Haywood Gallery, and we decided we would have it mixed, that it was not going to be all women because we, di we didn't want that. We wanted to be able to look at the differences if th there were indeed differences between the art made by, by men and women. Um, so we each selected, I think, the five of us, and we each selected, I think, two other artists. And in some cases, some of us selected one male, and in some cases, no men. 
Uh, I can't remember exactly. And it was a very, very interesting exhibition, but what was particularly interesting was that the critics did not have a clue as to how to deal with it. They didn't know how to, they, it, in the end, it just called, got called the women's show. And the, the men who were in it, actually, I think that they, you know, they felt very diffident about it because they, they weren't really, they had no particular position. Their work somehow also got sidelined because it was under this banner of the women's show. So I don't know, looking, but even now, coming up for 40 years later, I don't know whether it was, it could be seen as a success, but it was a very, very interesting experience with actually a lot of hostility from the Arts Council. Um, nobody was comfortable, um, but it was part of that whole movement of looking at where mm. we stand in, in relation to the entire scene and actually, uh, but maybe this is just terribly kind of unreconstructed of me, but I think we have, in spite of all difficult, I know about difficulties, I'm always getting told, get out more, or something like that. Um, but I do think we have a lot, to, women artists have a lot to celebrate. Well, I mean, certainly there does seem, if we take that as a point in the 70s, and we have what Gary says, which is now it's quite unacceptable in some ways not to include uh, a, a women artist in a group show, there, there is a sense of progress. Uh, Eileen, I want to ask you a question about, about the set. Isn't it the case that in the 70s, some women artists actually actively turned away from painting, for example, because they wanted to be liberated from working in the male canon? Yes, um, a lot of very good artists began to work with, um, particularly photography, as I remember, and, and installation, which bega began to be the forerunner of video, and um, I think I can quite understand why they did that. I was in a show called Women's Images of Men in, at the ICA in 1980, and I think I was about the only female painter in that show. I'm, I'm just stuck with painting. I'm, no excuses. <laughs> I mean, Cathy, even when a female artist is well-known and successful commercially, statistics show that her, art, her works will be cheaper than her male contemporaries. I mean, well, why do you think that is? Uh, I think there are lots of reasons for that, but I think at, at the top end of the market, I mean, and art is run by the top end of the market, um, you've got uh, perhaps some of the more successful women that are up there are making overtly uh, feminist imagery, and perhaps that's why they've got the, um, the platform as well. But those images perhaps are, uh, are not as, a, as accessible as commodities or men don't want to buy them because they might feel quite uncomfortable with them. I think that's a large part of why So why it might get a you attention in, in terms of sort of public exhibitions, but when it comes to actually selling wants them... to live with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. some, some of those more difficult imagery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I think there are, there are a lot of men making uh, less remarkable work that's very formal and it, and it can be lived with. And they're... You know, for women to gain that amount of attention, they have, they're perhaps, this is just one argument, mm. forced into making more of a feminist imagery. Having said that, what the art market and the art public loves is a bit of rebellion and a bit of, you know, a sort of gutsy fist up to whoever it is. So, you know, the feminist, this idea that women are exciting because they make feminist work, which has the kind of urgency to it, is a bit irritating because we don't all make work about the fact that we're struggling as women because, you know, often mm. we're not. But, you know, is it possible that maybe the work that is so easily sort of the narrative of the artist is put on and makes it more consumable? You know, woman born in this time, had some, pro had some problems, has created this angst-ridden thing that you can now own as part of history. You know, that's a sort of 
very... Uh, I, th I think it's, it's more that um, women are not seen as such high profile to get major museum shows which contribute to their worth in the financial markets. Mm. And that's a self-perpetuating thing, but I'm really pleased to notice that I think the Tate have five uh, solo shows by women artists. Mm. And we were discussing just before we came in about um, attributing value to your work. And, you know, I was saying I make video and live work, so I don't know how I would measure what being successful looks to me in the future because clearly I'm not going to... I don't know how... I honestly can't even begin to think about it. But um, th there are sort of some quite audacious ways of valuing work. And I couldn't really think... I was trying, struggling trying to think of a female artist that's done something similar, but someone like Tino Segal who will sell, you know... Um, sell an artwork for many thousands of pounds, simple with simply with a verbal agreement, um, and the value is 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 that like you know that you own the work and you have the rights to um, hire the producer to put it on for you, or um, who was who else were we talking about? I'm trying to remember. Um, Martin Creed, the lights going on and off. You know these are very bold statements about what value is and about. Um, having a sense of value in yourself and I think a lot of sort of being an artist is you train your mind and you focus and you you know having inquiries and you build up this sort of cultural value in, in in terms of your interests and then it's up to you to say what someone you know what then possesses that value I mean and you I, have to stand up and say yes I am worth I am a lot you know I'm worth a lot <laughs> and I say that this Give cup is really important <laughs> to that and I'll tell you why and you know this is but again, I was saying this Cheryl, the Sheryl Sandberg TED Talk, which a lot of people refer to, and in it she says that um, tradition, classically sort of women are taught to undervalue their success and to attribute it to, you know, say if they do really well, they say, oh, I was really lucky, or someone helped me out, or I worked really hard. And whereas, you know, this, again, sorry, it's quite sexist, as in, I realise it's but, like but not all like this. Maybe that's maybe, yeah. maybe that is a particularly, you know... Maybe, yeah, that it's sort of, you, you're, you know, Which being, I have to say, I rather like. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, true. But then, is it uh, is a masculine attitude a bit more to say, yeah, well, I'm successful because I'm great, and you can pay for that. <laughs> I, I just want to get back to this female. Is there a male female aesthetic thing? I mean, given that uh, you know a lot of art is is is, is bought by uh, uh, wealthy people, most of them men. Are they uh, subconsciously buying something with a male aesthetic? I, 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 don't, I mean, I don't know, but I, I mean, I throw that out. What do you think, Kathy? Do you think it's such a big one, isn't I it? I know. A big Do you one. think of your work as having a, 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 a female aesthetic <laughs> in particular or not? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Who said that? Me. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, more recently, yes, definitely. Mm. Uh, quite purposefully, actually. Mm. I mean, I would have said that from the outside, but I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's not the job of an artist to worry about the nature of, their, of who might buy no. or who might not buy. I mean, no. that is one of the terrible things that, that's happened. Yeah, to me, a, a really privileged artist is someone who can get on with the work and not worry about that's right, any of yeah. that. That's yeah. And once you start success, thinking yeah. what the market is and yeah. how to please it, you may be very successful, you may be, you may be very rich, but mm. you're not going to be very good. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really interested in this idea of male or female aesthetic that comes through in the, in the work. And I've often been lucky or unlucky enough to be on big selection panels for open exhibitions. And I have felt, as the work is going in front of the panel, and maybe I'm the only woman on it, that without me being there, the 
work that I later found out was by women artists just wouldn't have got through. So we are, and I'm, I'm warming, I'm very warm and receptive to that. I, I know that I find and seek out the work of women artists because I'm interested in what they're saying and that what's, that's what drives me mad about the fact that there is still such inequality in women being collected by major museums, even now, even if you forget all about art history. So does that mean that women's voices are not... Yeah, it means nobody's interested enough to hear what the women are saying. This is why the quota... We were talking about uh, with Amy about this idea of quotas. You know, is that patronising to say we should have, you know, three out of the ten artists be women or four out of the five? Or, you know, the, in some ways it... Uh, it is a little annoying. At the same time, maybe it's necessary to have women well, see women's work being shown, and therefore that becomes part of an of, uh, accepted. So, so, so when we, I mean, let, let, let's be clear about what we mean by quotas. Uh, uh, it, it would would a quota system work whereby you would say, I don't know, you know, forty uh, percent of, of of all art that is shown in a certain, <laughs> you know, art gallery has to be by women? I mean, how would it how would it work? Well, luckily, I think there's a lot far cleverer people than me who can work <laughs> that out. But I don't think we should be afraid of quotas. Um, and I think you can re-examine art history as well. Um, so there's big job, you know, a big job to be done there. And Eileen, didn't you say that in the last year um, there's 100% women have become Royal Academicians? Or um, the, all the elections. Yeah, the, the last year, so all this the elections. Seems to be happening uh, but I have to point moment. out that the two years before, I yeah, don't think any none. women were elected. <laughs> so we. Uh, how you know, long before you get a, a president of the RA who's a, a woman? Yeah, well, it's certainly not going to be me. <laughs> no interest oh, in doing on. it. But I think actually, I think it might be quite soon. Christopher is is in place for a while yet, I'm sure. Yeah. But I think very well the next person could be <laughs> a woman. She's mad enough to do it. <laughs> Any of you? <laughs> <laughs> Who would want it? Yeah. Now, look, I'd like to open up to the audience. I think we've got... If you stick up your hand, a mic will come to you. Let's have this young lady here. Hi, thank you for such an interesting conversation. Um, I'm an art historian student. I'm in my final year at Cambridge, and... Um, the, the first book that most art historians get given to read before they start their degree is The Story of Art by E.H. Gombrich, and there is not a single female artist in that entire book. <laughs> um, and now, kind of coming to the end of my degree and thinking about how I would like to write art history, I feel this incredible responsibility <laughs> um, that sometimes feels like a burden, but usually a pleasure of wanting to include women. And unless you have very good teachers women who were famous in their own time, like Helen Frankenthaler or Leonora Carrington, they just drop out of the history, even though they have so much institutional kind of status now. I was just wondering if you could add comments about how you like your work to be written about, um, not just seen and included in shows, but how do you like women's art to be written about? Can I just say something again? I feel like I'm hogging this. But even in your introduction, my work has often been described as playful. And there is an element of play in it, but I would hope there's also a darker side to it. So I the took it off the RA website, you know. Well, I, but <laughs> I have to say that we're, um, we're in the process of... I mean, I hadn't really looked at myself on the RA website, and when I did, I was slightly, um, you know, depressed. 
So that's going to change. So, so yeah, I want, um, I, I particularly would like a, a new generation of women to, um, to look at what my output and to put it in a fresh context. What, what sort of, I mean, I agree actually, playful, no, I mean, it is quite sort of slightly patronising, isn't it? I mean, what, what sort of word would you have liked instead? Oh, God. Well, you'd have to have whole sentences, really, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Paragraphs full of glowing praise. <laughs> can you, can uh, you, yeah. what would you, what, what about you, Gary? Oh, about my own work, I really yeah. don't know. Because um, that's the question, isn't it? How would you like to be I know, just think put it in the right about? context, you know, it's not, I'm not, you know, you don't, I don't, I think putting women's work together is a bit, strange sometimes like we don't all make work about the fact that we're women first and foremost that we have other interests that you know i'd just be happy for my work to be talked about next to someone who has the same taste interests and or opposing a position to me but not because i'm male he's female sorry <laughs> i'm female well, he's I, male, I think your you see your question is posing a real problem yeah. for this panel because they're female <laughs> and they <laughs> I, I i think that women find it very difficult to blow their own trumpet you're asking the panel to describe their own work in glowing terms and they're all finding it rather say, difficult say we're all wonderful <laughs> <laughs> i I, yeah. I think that that question has to go back to you. I think it's a really, really interesting question. No, I, I think agree. it's I impossible think it's really to answer. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's extremely interesting and important that somebody of your generation is asking that question because you can't, in the end, uh, entirely separate work from its context. To some extent, you can because we all come, we all have a history going back hundreds and thousands of years as artists. Uh, but Nevertheless, you can't separate it from what's happening now. So you would have a better view. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you can put me wherever you want. Uh, I'd be happy to be anywhere because I don't <laughs> think that's to be taken for granted. I think an awful lot of art is will disappear as we disappear, um, which is a different question. But I feel it, it is it is for you to do it. But there's a there's a sorry. Would it take some other questions? Because a couple of hands going up at the back there. Hi, this is sort of to do with the previous question. I have noticed I've been interested in this because I've been reading a lot of art criticism about women's work at the moment, and some of it quite old, let's say, well, not that old, but let's say from the 1950s. And what I had noticed that often women's work is described as intuitive, or instinctive, or playful, or there's very little word like structure, form, strength, all of those things that are sort of construction almost were factory words, building words, are very rarely used. Now, sometimes that's true, and it's actually wonderful to be an in instinctive um, you know, artist, but often that's not true when you look at the work. And I think that that is part of this kind of aesthetic that we don't notice, the way that we are used to, by little degrees, to assume certain things about genders and to use words in a way which perpetuates an idea of femininity or masculinity. So I think that that would be important, to think about the language that is used. That's what, not really a question, but I would... That's a, that's a good point. There's a woman next to you. Yes, I mean, I belong to a generation probably around Eileen's generation, and I have noticed that, for example, in the 70s, what was really surprising to me, I happened as part of my secret life as an artist, to be working for the Crafts Council. 
Now, the Crafts Council had completely even representation of women and men, and I don't think they've had the same problem. They may have had some problems, but they weren't the same problems that fine artists were having. And I think that there is a complete, what we need is someone to articulate what it is that women actually do do that men haven't been doing. Because there are things that can't be done by men that actually we do have a different view on life. We are different and may we remain so, but may we articulate it. Because often we're swallowed up as the add-on and we aren't an add-on, we're half the population. Do you, I think the treatment and the thinking about women artists is a reflection of a general, in political life, business life, um, of, of women as well. And this thing about quotas is a dilemma in business, in politics, and it's wrong. <laughs> Um, I don't know what you think about it, but I think that... What, you think quotas in, are wrong? Well, no, I just think uh, in general we seem to be going backwards in lots of ways with the pigeonholing of, of women and the whole aspect of women in the media. I think this doesn't help either. And I think the, the film today, I don't know how many people saw it, but it was a most amazing thing and showed tremendous strength of women artists of all ages. Um, I was at a recent discussion, I won't mention any names, of um, probably the one of the best known um, uh, female architects in the world recently. And the interviewer, it was cringe-making, because this person, this architect, um, was extremely interested and uh, learned, and uh, I think she started off studying mathematics. And there was sort of surprise. Why did you choose mathematics? You know, as though it was a kind. It was a put down, and it was embarrassing at that level for someone to ask that kind of question was extraordinary. Well, I think there's, I mean, there's no doubt, obviously, that the, the, you know, these kinds of discrimination exist in all areas. But I'm interested in picking up on the second point there about the, the craft uh, council, uh, craft vis-a-vis -vis fine art. And why do we think there's a discre discrepancy? Why is fine art particularly you know, far more male-dominated? Any, anybody, any of the Well, panel? isn't traditionally craft a sort of domestic mm. art form, Tr as in? The idea that uh, can be done on a smaller scale. Or, I mean, wood woodwork is different. You know, that's one form of craft, but it's a sense of something methodical that um, can be takes patience, um, which can be started, picked up, and put down. Mm. Whereas there's isn't a bold I mean, brush. Big scale sculpture is particularly male dominated, isn't it? I don't make big scale sculpture. No, but it is. But, it is. but you were saying <laughs> yeah, earlier, yeah, weren't no, you? Absolutely, that, you know, yeah. uh, but you're a, you, you termed yourself as a sculptor. I am a sculptor, but I uh, initially trained a, in a jewellery department, so I mm. transferred from the craft world to the so fine art world. Yeah. I mean, really, I think I was always making fine art, but I was in a craft context. Mm. But the, the journey from one world to another was really... Um, challenging and interesting and I think that what the person at the back was talking about um, language and use of words like intuitive and obsessive and these kinds of kind of female sort of um, constructed 
uh, put-downs, um, uh, as opposed to... Um, so that will be going on in the craft world quite happily, and skill also. Yeah. Whereas in the fine art world, of course, you've got all these arguments about... Um, skill it's too precious it's not intellectual enough it's not critical enough it's not theoretical enough it's you know so there's a uh, there's a much more kind of uh, particularly now isn't there such a theoretical bias on the fine arts which i don't know picking up on what you're saying could be seen as more male which is a terrible put down on how a female can kind of think but i suppose this idea that intuition is not then um an intelligent process that it's not a critical process that it's not an objective process these are problems, aren't they? That these things mm. are seen in a, in a negative light. Um, so the, the fact that there are men and women in the craft world is, is I suppose, because there are certain kinds of men that are uh, making work completely to do with process um, and skill, and they don't want to engage with those slightly, dare I say it, bigger questions. Well, the, the question that came from the back about intuition was, you, you spoke about the 50s, didn't you? And I think that the, at that time, probably <coughs> female and intuition were somehow linked. I think, on the whole, people know now that all art and all creative work is intuitive. Sometimes I think that um, the brain comes a long, long way afterwards. I think that, you know, to connect the heart and the head is, is a very difficult thing to do. And it, in fact, around the 50s, and a lot of women artists were in fact trying to concentrate on the more intellectual aspects of art, simply in order to make themselves feel serious. I mean, I probably did that myself. Um, it was only years later that I realized actually that is very, very little to do with it. We, we after all, we don't know where, where creativity comes from. Nobody actually has an idea. No artist has ever said um, that they knew where the ideas came from. And if they did, then they're not artists, they're academics, which is something very different. So I think it's moved since then. I think the kind of things that you're, you're talking about... Um, have I been talking not in this all the time? <laughs> so, really sorry. I want to take a question from the back because a brave man put his hand up. <laughs> I feel you've been underrepresentative in this discussion. Yeah, hi. Um, so I was thinking about um, professions that were once dominated by men. Um, so the teaching profession, medical professions, law to a lesser extent, and um, policing to an even lesser extent um, in terms of kind of chronology. And in all of those cases, when women are finally invited in uh, to, to that profession, um, the cultural and social status of that profession spirals downwards very, very quickly. And it's, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what causes this, whether the addition of women makes it makes being a doctor not as good a job anymore, or whether um, the, the, the whole structure of it is predicated on scarcity. So, um, so if we had um, the you know, revisioning of art history that um, Eileen Cooper called for, you know, why, would you, why would you spend 10 million pounds on a Picasso when you know there are 200 women of the same period who are just as good, if not better? Um, so, so instead of having one person to collect, you, you suddenly have several hundred in any, any given decade. Um, so my question to the panel after that, please don't kill me, um, is, is, is would you be prepared to see 
a greater inclusivity of women in the art world at the expense of the, the cultural devaluing of art. Can I take this? I would say, firstly, that I, I never really thought or heard of the idea that the professions that were usually respect, sort of more respected would go down because women joined them. I would imagine it's more to do with the fact that there's a shift, firstly, to do with um, privatization versus public. I mean, the police and the uh, law professions, not so much, but um, being a doctor, um, were supported by a government previously that probably could, you know, the NHS was able to uh, give probably slightly higher quality of life to those people. But I'd also say it's to do more with a shift of labor being sort of, you know, material and immaterial labor and, and find, uh, what you mean is it because we we just value those I professions th less, think full stop, the, like teachers and doctors and so on? I think on that, that we the professions are in crisis. Yes, you know, I have a friend yeah. who's just written a book about the fact, you know, the, the future of the professions to do with technology, to do with distribution of skilled knowledge, to do with the fact that none of us can really remember anything because we've all got iPhones. You know, this kind of you can access very very high level information and sort of something that. You know, like taxi drivers replaced by GPS. Uh, doctors often use patient.co.uk when they're, you know, reading your symptoms. It's not, it, there's no longer a sense that uh, it's a craft. I think that this is ma mainly, you know, like Richard Sennett's written about the craftsman and how professionally you take a lot of pride in your work because it's something that you dedicate yourself to and you're able to, but oh, it's a huge thing. Anyway, basically, I would say I disagree that those professions are considered to be less um, valuable or uh, respected because women have joined them. I think it's to do with a sort of fracturing of um, information and processes and t the effect of technology in general and a kind of inclusivity of uh, and a sense of choice, really. I think we really have more... We're given the opportunity to choose what makes us happy and people change careers a lot and it's not considered... Uh, I don't know, like you're not locked in for life. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. sorry, I'm can trailing off, but can I, I, I yeah. wouldn't agree. Yeah. I'd just I say that if we did um, trawl through the whole of art history, we probably wouldn't find 200 women, which, which you've uh, suggested. Um, we might find one or two that have been overlooked. Um, Picasso is a particular favourite of mine. We, we wouldn't find 200 men either. <laughs> Does that help? <laughs> Are you convinced? <laughs> My, uh, my PhD was in Victorian poetry, um, uh, and, and I looked at women writers who are in the footnotes of Wordsworth and Coleridge, um, who I think are substantially more interesting. Um, but there's a difference in art than li and um, you know there's a difference between art and literature in it's, that pe it's people, often people collect. Opportunity. Yeah. I think women were not, as we learned, that women were not given access in the Royal Academy schools, for example, to the life drawing room. So access for artists in history is an important thing, and also work surviving. So when work is valued in its own time, it survives. I think there's probably been interesting work by women artists that's been lost. Mm. But whether they could work with the intensity and the ambition of men, given their circumstances at the time, I doubt. I don't think their work would have been interested, as interesting to the people then as it is to us now because of these conversations we're having about the value and value of, of, of a certain aesthetic and also 
the canon being that, written by time, men. At that time, it was only, the profession was only open to a tiny, tiny minority of people. I mean, just, they had to be highly privileged in the position where they were totally free of all social demands. I mean, those were very, very, very different times. <laughs> Did you say it's the same as now? It is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is more yeah, yeah. and more so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Do you know what we are? Do you, do you really think so? <laughs> I mean, a woman artist today still has to look after the children, run the house, have a part-time job, go de to the deal studio, with her student debts because there are no grants anymore. Deal with everything else and make work that that resonates with themselves and hopefully have shows and sell it. Whereas a male artist today leaves the house, says goodbye, goes to the studio and comes home and wants dinner on the table. Yes, but what, what you're saying... <laughs> is that really true? Is what that you're really saying true? is a, little, a male, a male artist. artist. I've got a lot know. of younger colleagues who um, have young families and given the way things have worked out, the male artists are doing the rounds of art schools or art handling or whatever they do to earn their living and they're bloody struggling. And the women artists, um, so, and so they've chosen for their wives, maybe their partners, to, for a short time, be the chief care giver to the children. Um, I think, men, I mean, I've got two sons, so I'm very pro-men. <laughs> and I, I have to say that my husband has the dinner on the table every night. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> our time is up and I'd like to thank all my panellists and all of you for coming this afternoon. Thank you for joining us at International Women's Day and thank the Attract programme for delivering our brilliant workshop today. And one final thanks to Kirsty Lang and all the artists on our panel. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.